much. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And this morning, our subject is the marvelous lineage and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The marvelous lineage and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. May we bow together in prayer, please. Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of humbling ourselves in Thy presence. We ask that the Holy Spirit would move upon our heartstrings and touch every life and meet needs. We pray especially that Thou wilt watch over those who are on our hearts who need God's love in a special way. May the Holy Spirit do His work of conviction in drawing folks to Jesus and magnifying and lifting up that precious name. For Christ's sake, amen. In Matthew chapter 1, we have a parallel to Luke chapter 3, where we have the lineage of the Lord Jesus. Apparently, Matthew traces this lineage through Joseph, the foster father, back through David, or rather through Solomon to David and so on, and then back to Abraham. Luke traces the lineage of Jesus apparently through Mary and back through Nathan, who was a brother of Solomon, to David, and then back to Adam. And so, as we study if we would study privately those two narratives, it would be very interesting to see the lineage of our Lord. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 1 and just single out a few verses as the basis for this message today. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brethren. Look at verse 5. And Solomon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. And then we turn to verse 15. And Elihu begot Eliezer. And Eliezer begot Matthan, and Matthan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. From David until the carrying away unto, into Babylon are fourteen generations. From the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now this is the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, or be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. To begin, the biography of the Lord Jesus Christ with the genealogy is not to be unexpected, even today. Many of the biographies, the first chapter contains the birthday, who the parents were, who the grandparents were, where they were from, and all those kind of things. It was the expected way among the Jews to begin a biography. Herod the Great had the official records destroyed for most of the Jews so that nobody could claim that they were heir to the throne of David. Herod was one half Jew, and he was one half Edomite. And Herod was king in those parts in that day. And he knew the story and the, and, and the expectation that there was to come a Messiah, a king. And so when the wise men came saying, where is he that is born king? He was trembling with fury and indignation. He thought all the records had been destroyed. He didn't understand how anybody would have the audacity to come to the city of Jerusalem and ask, where is he that is to be king or that is born to be king? Now, 1,996 years are covered in the genealogy we have looked at this morning. Luke goes back to Adam while Matthew goes back to Abraham. I want us to notice three very important truths concerning this genealogy and the lineage of Jesus. Number one, this lineage suggests the symbolic stages of history. The symbolic stages of history. First of all, the period of the patriarchs and the judges all directed toward greatness. Reading the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in either Matthew or Luke, you come across some of the tremendous names that made Israel great. But secondly, you come to the period of the monarchy when Israel went to her lowest ebb under the kings who forgot that Israel was to be a theocracy under God and they led the nation away from God. And thirdly, you come to the period of meaninglessness restlessness, sometimes going up, sometimes going down, when actually you come through that interbiblical period when there was no voice of God at all. And all of those names that we read in that account are almost meaningless. I think this is a symbol of what happens to man himself. First of all, man was born for greatness, royalty. We're to be kings and priests. Scripture says, what is man? Thou art mindful of him. God has made him a little bit lower than the angels. And yet, did you know that man is God's great symbol of God to this earth? The evolutionists have a tough time with this. 
But the Bible teaches that we are God to the animal kingdom. Your dog, your cat, just about all that he knows about God is you. Did you ever think of it? That's the reason we ought to be kind, because God is kind. We ought never to be ruthless. I don't believe, I, I, I think if you go hunting to get a squirrel for breakfast or to eat, that's fine. You go hunting to get a rabbit for, to eat, that's fine. But you just go out hunting just for the sport of it and kill animals and throw them in a ditch. I don't believe God's behind that. I don't believe that's for God. Because you and I are like God to the animals. We need to teach our children that. We need to be kind to those animals because we're the only God they know about. And God has put them under us. But who is man under? Man was never made to be under anyone else. No, not under any other man, but under God, as far as his spirit is concerned. Now, all of us have a boss. All of us have someone that we're, we're answerable to and, and so on. But God made man for himself. And God expected us to be in this earth like little gods. That's the first thing we notice in this lineage. Secondly, man lost his greatness. In the lineage of Jesus, you find those who had lost their greatness, some people who had been something and they dwindled it away, they threw it away, they proffered their life on the altar of nothingness, the tragedy of freedom lost. But the third thing we notice in here is that man can regain that greatness. There is nobody so hopeless today, nobody who has gone so far away from God, nobody who has involved himself so much in wasted living, but that God can retrieve him and bring him back if you'll come. And so all of these, I think, are lessons we learn from the marvelous lineage of our Lord. The second truth I would like to lay on our hearts this morning has to do with the personalities involved in the lineage of Jesus. There were some righteous personalities. You think of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faithful. He was one of the great, great, great grandfathers of the Lord Jesus. He's the one who took his own son Isaac out to Moriah and was willing to offer him as a, because God said, sacrifice your son. And what a tremendous spiritual lesson this was as Abraham offered Isaac. And just as he was about to bring the knife down on Isaac, God said, wait a minute. I, I don't want your son killed. I wanted to know where I stood with you. And over in the, in the bushes, there was a scapegoat. And the animal was offered in the place of a man. But that was a prophecy of something that was to happen years and years later. When the Lord Jesus Christ himself would come on Mount Moriah at Calvary and offer himself a sin substitute for the sins of the world. And then we think of, in this passage, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. He was a powerful king. He reigned many, many years in Jerusalem. One of, the, one of the great kings of all times. One day Isaiah came and said, God said to tell me you're going to die. To tell, to tell you you're going to die. You're not going to live. 
And, and Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and, and he began to weep. His tears were there and he prayed. And God heard his prayer. God saw his tears. And God said, Isaiah, you go back and tell Hezekiah I've added 15 years to his life. Now, Hezekiah was one of the great, great grandfathers of the Lord Jesus. Some of the great righteous people that were in the lineage of Jesus. But also there were some strong and dedicated young people in the life of Jesus. In the the lineage of Jesus. Josiah was one of those men. Josiah began to reign when he was a young boy. He sought the Lord. He brought great revival in Israel. God used him in a marvelous way. But in the lineage of Jesus, there are also some people who had some skeletons in their closets. People who had some sins in their lives, gross sins. For example, in this lineage of Jesus is mentioned Rahab. Rahab was a harlot. Now, very frankly, folks, most of us, if we were talking about our ancestors and our great-grandparents and so on, very few would, if you had a woman of the streets, you had a harlot in your background, you wouldn't boast about it. When you were publishing your lineage, you'd sort of pass over that one and act like it never existed. But not so with the Scripture. The Scripture relates it just like it is. And Rahab, the harlot of Jericho, was one of the great, great, great grandmothers of the Lord Jesus. But you see, her life got changed. And this was symbolic that God was sending his son into the world to change lives so that a person's past could not be held against him. You do not have to live under the circumstances. You do not have to live under those things that would weigh you down. Another person in the lineage of Jesus, a great-great-great-grandmother was Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the one who committed the sin with David. Her name is listed there. She too was one of the great ancestors of our Lord. She had a life change. Now I brought all this to our attention to say that in this dynamic lineage, in this marvelous lineage of our Lord, there are names that remind us of the very reason Jesus is coming, why Jesus had to come because of the grossness of sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Jesus was to come to take that wage himself. All of this is symbolized in the lineage. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Whoever you are today, wherever you are, whatever your station in life, whether you're up and out or down and out, whether you're one who lives on the beautiful avenues and has sin in your life, or you're one who lives in a hovel on an alley and you have sin in your life. The whole lineage of Jesus preaches this truth that God loves you and he can change your life. There's a third truth in this passage and then I'll be done. There is hope in the darkest night. I want us to notice that in Christ the racial barriers are destroyed. In Christ there is no Jew, no Gentile, no bond, nor free, no black, no white. There's no north, nor south, nor east, nor west. Ruth was a Moabitess. 
She was a Gentile. The Jews hated Gentiles. They called them dogs. But one of the ancestors of the Lord Jesus was Ruth, a Moabitess Gentile. I want you to notice that in Christ, the place of womanhood was exalted. Before Christ came, women were things. They were pieces of equipment. They were toys that you played with. They were objects that you owned. But in Christ, womanhood was exalted. There has never been a greater friend to women, to women than Jesus. See, we don't need the ERA movement. We don't need an equal rights amendment. We don't need all of that. Because Jesus made women, on, put them on a pedestal. If anything, somebody said, are men superior to women or women superior to, to men? Well, in Christ, they're all, we're all equal. But if anything, Christ put womanhood on a pedestal. And, and women, don't step down off that pedestal to try to be like men. I had a professor in the seminary years ago, Gaines Dobbins, who said, if there's anything I hate, there are two things I hate. He said, I hate a monish woman or a womanish mon. He had a brogue. He was saying, men don't try to be like women. Women don't try to be like men. God has made us different. And that God has placed a woman on a pedestal, and she is something beautiful, precious, holy. Don't step down to try to be like men. That's the reason women ought to look like women, dress like women, act like women, talk like women. Because God has made you something very, very special. And I think in this scripture, when we come to the Virgin Mary, no other woman in all the world was so greatly honored. No other person was so greatly honored. Even Joseph, as precious as he is, he wasn't greatly honored like, like Mary was. God chose Mary as a vehicle through whom to bring his love gift into this world. Now, this says something also concerning our slaves. When Jesus came, he made the slave our brother. He made the slave our brother. Now, we don't have slaves today here in America. At least not, we're not supposed to have. I think there are some slaves. I, I, I saw a news article the other day. I just was going through the grocery store, and here was this paper. I don't even remember the name of the paper, but it said, a woman keeps her husband in a cage for 40 years. <laughs> she even let him watch TV. So, and I don't know, you, maybe you read about it. I don't know what that's all about. But uh, uh, we don't really have slaves in America any longer. We used to. But you know, when Jesus came, he made the slave our brother. Now, what kind of application can you make that today? We don't have slaves. Well, we have management and labor, don't we? And I want to say to you that God didn't put one here and another here. He put us both here. Now that we have different roles to occupy, different roles to play. But the wise management treats the employer the way God would have us treat. The wise employer doesn't try to bring the manager down and, 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 and 
do everything he can to hurt him. But they can recognize that spiritually they're on the same plane and they're both answerable to God. And so in this lineage, we see some tremendous applications, tremendous spiritual truths. Secondly, concerning the hope in the dark night, the spiritual implication of this lineage has to, comes to fruition in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And probably one of the most important pressing doctrines of the Christian faith is the virgin birth of our Lord, the virgin conception of our Lord. Both Matthew and Luke go way out of the way to explain that Jesus was born of a virgin. Matthew goes back to Isaiah 7, 14, and he quotes that wonderful prophet as he was giving a special prophecy to a king. And, and the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a symbol, a signet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The word used for virgin in that passage in Isaiah 7, 14 is the Hebrew word Alma, A-L-M-A, Alma. Several hundred years before the Lord Jesus was born, the Jews wanted to translate the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek because Greek, the Greek rule had spread across the world. And so that the scriptures could be read in the Greek, they translated what was called the Septuagint. Seventy men sat down and translated, scholars translated the scripture. When they came to that word Alma, which means in the Hebrew, a young woman of marriageable age, and every time it's used in the Old Testament, it's used to refer to a woman that was never married, never knew a man. When the Septuagint translators found that word, they put the Greek word that corresponds with that, and they, that Greek word meant a woman that had never known a man. Now when Matthew was coming along, and he translated the word, he went back to the Hebrew Alma, then he looked at the Septuagint, and the word that he used was the same word that the Septuagint translators used, which meant that a woman that had never known a man. Any scholars that come along and tell you today there's a question as to whether that word in Matthew 1 and that word in Isaiah 7:14 could mean something beside a woman who had never known a man. It could mean something beside a virgin. That scholarship is off-brand. And ladies and gentlemen, this scripture teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. He had a human mother, no human father. God was his father. And God so overshadowed Mary, the scripture tells us in Luke, that that holy thing that was conceived in her was of God. And God performed the miracle. Now let's think for a moment of why that's true. Why is it necessary for there to be a virgin birth of Jesus? The virgin birth of Jesus is essential to faith because only through this miracle can Christ, first of all, be fully God and fully man simultaneously. God is all man. Jesus is all man. He is all God. Sometimes in our day, we do not have so much trouble recognizing that Jesus is deity. You and I don't, who know the Lord and love him. And it's hard for us to deal with his humanity. We don't understand how Jesus could have been five years old at one time. 
He could have been like some of the junior boys and girls sitting in the balcony. He could have been like you. Nine, 10, 11 years old. He could have been a teenager like some of our teenagers in this audience this morning. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You know all the problems you have to grapple with. And Jesus grappled with the same things because he was your age at one time. And he had all that he had all the temptations that you and I have, and yet he was without sin. The scripture tells us that. He was all God and he was all man. The only way that could be possible is because of the virgin birth. Secondly, the only way he could be the new Adam spoken of in Romans, the second Adam, the new Adam, the new beginning, was to have no human father. Thirdly, the only way he could be sinless and perfectly obedient to the law of God on behalf of sinners was for him to have been born of a virgin. And fourthly, the only way he could make payment for sin as one who is both God and man is that he was born of a virgin. And I want to tell you, Jesus made complete payment for our sins. All of my sins and your sins were placed on Jesus that day at the cross. And because he was born of a virgin, he went to that cross and was able to bear our sins in his own body. Last of all, I want to give you this thought. What are the soul implications of the fact that Jesus was born of the virgin and this wonderful lineage? Well, first of all, the scripture says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew is the gospel of the coming kingdom. He is the gospel of the Messiah. He is the gospel of the rejection. Some of them received Christ and some received him not, the scripture says. But this scripture gives us Jesus as the new hope. He is the hope for the hopeless. He is the one who, if we trust him, can save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. And here's the reason. Jesus, all God and all man, went to the cross to take man in one hand and God in the other and bring us together. And so the, John says in 1 John that he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the meeting place for our sins. He's the one where we can take all of our ugly things and all of our discouragements and all of our defeats and all of our failures and all of our past problems and we can place them at the mercy seat and know that what Jesus did when he died on that cross was enough to atone for it all. No wonder we can sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Why? Because he was God, man of all eternity. He was God, man. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, have you let him be that to you? Have you let him come into your heart? Have you let him change you? Have you let him save you? Do you know him? Have you put your mistakes and your problems and your failures and all the things over on him? 
Have you said, Lord Jesus, I love you, I honor you, I give myself to you? Have you done that? Let me pray. Our Father, we pray that just now, someone who has never put all of his sins on Jesus would do it. Those who are God's people, who have already received Christ as Savior, would once again come in humility and say, Lord Jesus, I yield myself to Thee. And I want to place upon Thee all the failures, the tragedies of my life. And I want to start serving the King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We stand, please. With our heads bowed for just a moment, let's close our eyes a moment. I, I want to ask that first of all, you just simply say, Lord, on the basis of the fact that Jesus is God, and he came to seek and to save the lost, Lord, if I've never been saved, I want to give myself to you today. Would you tell him that? And Lord, if I am saved, I want to serve you. I want to spend the next few days, the end of this year, living for you as a basis for entering 1985 with my life on the line for God. Let's search our hearts just a moment if there's anything in us that shouldn't be there, let's just confess it to the Lord and ask Him to fill us with Himself. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now look this way, we're going to sing. And as we sing, the invitation is...